0: All right. Hello. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. After a two-week break, we are back. We're glad to be back. It's good to see everybody. Uh, joining me is Jeff Smelser, and uh, it looks like you're in Narvon, Pennsylvania today. It looks like you're at home and not at the office today.
1: That is exactly right. I am in Narvon, Pennsylvania on a fall day.
0: Good deal. And we also have with us Joe Works in Elmira, New York, uh, from the School of Good Works, it looks like as well. It's good to see you today, Joe.
2: Glad to be back with you two gentlemen. Uh, looking forward to uh, studying uh, once again from God's Word.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's good to see you today as well. So we are going to be in Galatians chapter 5 today. We're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, last week, we, or a couple of weeks ago, we introduced the topic by looking at the context of Galatians 5 and talked about the very first one, of course, is love. And guys, do you remember one of the things we, we tried to emphasize the most about this particular uh, section of Scripture?
1: Um, I think probably the idea that these things don't just happen as an accident in our lives, that these things are the result of making a choice to follow the Spirit.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. That These are deliberate choices that we make. They aren't just things that we feel led to do. You hear that terminology terminology, excuse me, used a lot when you talk about the spirit, just feeling led by the spirit, and that phrase is used in scripture. But but understanding that if we are going to walk by the spirit, there are deliberate choices we make. We understood that with the things going on in verses nineteen through twenty one with the works of the flesh, and so the same needs to be understood of the fruit of the spirit in verses twenty two through twenty four. And so these are deliberate choices we, we make each and every day. Uh, for context purposes, um, Joe, if you wouldn't mind, do you mind to read Galatians 5, 16 through 26 for us?
2: You happy to do that. I just turned away from Galatians, but I'll turn quickly back. Galatians 5, give me the verses again.
0: Uh, 16 through 26.
2: Okay. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, Just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another,
0: All right. Thank you, Joe. So this is, of course, a really important section of of Galatians at this point. Paul is trying to get them to realize that once you've put off the things of the flesh, that there are practical things that you need to walk in. And so it's always important we grab the context for this. Today, we're going to zero in on the concept of joy. And guys, just kind of to get our our brains going and and get the topic moving, uh, when you guys think of having joy or being joyful what other words or phrases come to your all's mind?
1: Well, I don't know about other words or phrases, but uh, you know, when I think of joy, I tell you honestly, and you, you kind of you kind of threw this out, you know, when we were talking ahead of time that you'd ask something like this. And the very first thing that came to my mind was uh the Ethiopian eunuch who went on his way rejoicing. Um, and and I think there, there are a lot of things that bring us joy in life, but we talk, want to talk about lasting joy, profound joy. It's knowing that you are right with your creator.
0: Yeah, great. So uh, joy is only something we can have when there's an eternal nature to it. It might be the idea that you're talking about. Yeah, excellent.
2: And I think it's helpful maybe to think of joy along with thanksgiving because of that very thing. Uh, I think joy is going to be related to uh, our giving of thanks, of our recognition of what God has done. Uh, One of the passages that I thought about was Psalm 5 and verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy and may you shelter them. Those who love your name may exalt in you, that that those who love your name may exalt in you. So there's maybe another synonym is glad, Um, but it's connected to, who the Lord is, what he's done for us, our trust in him.
0: Yeah, Thanksgiving very closely tied to this idea as well. Excellent. Um, So that just as a way to get warmed up to it. Thinking about contentment, I think, goes along with joy, um, understanding that that what we have is sufficient to be joyful in the Lord. Guys, let me ask it this way then, like we did with the concept of love a couple weeks ago. How would you say the world defines joy?
1: That's a good question. You know, I, I suspect it, there's not one answer to that. I think um, depending on who you ask, joy is going to be uh, going on vacation. Joy is going to be some, some excitement. Joy is going to be the thrill of seeing a loved one. Um, joy is going to be being rich for some. They think that's joy. It's not a lot of joy. Uh, I think it depends on who you ask.
0: So let, let, what do all those just about have in common? The, the, they all have external qualities in mind. And it's all about me. It's getting to do what I want to do. That's what all those really have in common. And that's how I become joyful. That, that's how I am joyful is when I get to do what I want to do. And, and I think and, that's exactly right. Yeah, go and,
1: ahead. And, and you use the word external. You know, I think that's kind of key um I think that maybe generally it would be true that the world tends to think of joy as something that is the result of external events not something I'm in control of something that but instead something that happens to me and my to my benefit.
0: Yes, exactly. And so I'm happy and fun and joyful when there's something you know out there that's making me that way or i've invested in something that makes me that way it's not something that comes from inside but it's only something from outside that can make me joyful and on the surface what's the problem with that
1: well one thing that's the problem with that is if that's your understanding of joy you can't understand when the scripture says count it all joy my brethren when you fall into manifold trials Sure. The idea of falling into trials, difficulties, hardships, and that you can somehow find joy in that, you know, that's a that's a foreign concept to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And, and going along with that, um, just that if, if those external things are taken away from you, you don't have joy anymore. Like you don't have anything left or, or if something that made you be able to enjoy those things, like I think about the example you gave of excitement there, Jeff. Um, If I no longer was able to, you know, I'm I'm a firefighter. I like doing that kind of thing. If my arms or legs were taken away from me and I I wasn't able to do that, do that anymore. If I found only joy in that, then I know I don't have anything. I don't have joy any longer. And so there's a fundamental problem with trying to find joy in just external things is my point. So the, the passage that I quoted is
1: James chapter one in verse two. And he's talking about uh, finding joy even when you're going through difficulties. And, and yes, so yes. And, and the reason so so all right, I, if I can jump the gun a little bit, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit. And, you know, we love joy, peace and so on. But one of the things, you know, you stressed last last time we were talking about love, and this time also, there's a choice here, but the choice is not, I choose to have joy. The choice is, I choose to serve God. I choose to follow the Spirit. I choose to let the Spirit control my decisions rather than my own desires. And when I do that, then the result is going to be, I'm going to have love and joy, and I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to have joy because I have I have the forgiveness of my sins. I have the relationship with my creator and the hope of an eternal life that is not contingent upon my immediate present circumstances.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that's a really good way to put that. Um, I'll tell you, since you've already quoted James one, two, I'm going to pivot from what we talked about in the webcast. I wanted to start in Philippians, but now I think it'd be good since we're talking about finding joy, even in trials To go ahead and start in the book of Hebrews, if that's okay with you guys. Um, And so if you would like to look over at Hebrews chapter 10, because joy is used in a very interesting place um, in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And I'm wondering if you guys can even think of where it is in Hebrews 10 as you're flipping over there.
2: Not off the top of my head. Yeah, the 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 end of chapter ten when he's talking about how they've been illuminated and need to persevere, be faithful, recall their former days, and so forth. Uh, thinking about verse uh, at least one of them, verse thirty-four. Uh,
0: yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Jeff, uh, why don't you read for us? You want to bring verses thirty-two through thirty-four to light for us?
2: I don't know.
1: I'm kind of a, I'm sad right now because I still thought of it and I didn't, so my joy's gone.
0: All right, well, find it because we're live. (laughs) And my dog is under my desk right now, I'm sorry.
1: I got Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly being made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly becoming partakers with them that were so used for you both had compassion on them that were in bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and
0: an abiding one. Okay. So this is one of my more encouraging passages I find in the book of Hebrews where he talks about some of the hard things that these brethren have already gone through. Um, And, that they've been made a public spectacle and and through reproaches and tribulations, they were shares with others who were treated just like that and that they shared with sympathy uh, to the prisoners, but then accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Guys, let me ask this. Was joy a choice for them? You think whenever their possessions were being taken from them,
2: it had to be a choice. I mean, uh, everything instinctively would make that a a discouraging time.
0: But let me ask this question. Contextually speaking, what motivated their joy according to the end of verse 34?
2: They they have something that that is much better, longer lasting Uh, they recognize the contrast between the temporal and the eternal. Just where you started earlier, Chase, that's really uh, neat how all this works together.
1: In connection with that, he goes on in the next chapter and gives examples of faith from the Old Testament. One of the examples is Abraham, who uh, went to land that he was received for an inheritance, having never seen it. But as you go on through chapter 11, it makes the point he never received the inheritance in his lifetime. And that's can be illustrated when he went to bury his wife. He didn't have any property. He had to buy a piece of property. And the book of Hebrews makes the point verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having confessed that they were strangers, pilgrims on the earth. And then at the end of the chapter, it talks about the fact that they would not receive the promise apart from us. In other words, You've got this man, Abraham, and there were great promises made to him, but the promises made to him ultimately were about eternity and not about this life on earth. And that's that goes along with what's being
0: said back here in chapter 10 and verse 34. Yeah, and so I just want to make that point because, uh, well, did you hear it that time, Joe? I did. <laughs> um, anyways, okay. Uh, anyways, I just wanted to make the point that these people have a better and lasting possession and that's motivating their joy when they're going through something hard. And it was a choice that they had to make was, was to choose to to dwell and reflect on this greater possession rather than on the possession that was getting taken away from them. And that takes a lot of discipline. That's not an easy thing to do. It wasn't, joy is not this passing feeling, but it's the choice they had to make in that moment. Um, I don't want to beat the dead horse with this passage. So I want to continue through Hebrews guys from this point on in Hebrews. Can you think of maybe one other place where the word joy is used?
2: So the one that, th- that came to my mind, in exact contrast of this uh, is with Moses. Uh, okay. Uh, continue. Where uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26, Moses refused to enjoy in joy the passing pleasures of sin uh, because he was looking, uh, he he counted uh, greater riches the, the reproaches of Christ, um, and so thinking about that, he wanted he he made the, the the decision to put away those things that would have brought temporal happiness and uh, and pleasure, because joy was enduring.
0: You know, I'd miss that one. That wasn't the one I was thinking of, but you're exactly right. It does use the word joy there. And that's the same concept that we're talking about from chapter 10. And you can imagine how encouraging that would be to these uh, brethren, that they can be like Moses in the way that they give up their possessions for a more eternal and lasting possession. Excellent. Jeff, can you maybe brainstorm where the next place is?
1: Place where we see joy in the book of Hebrews, you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, but don't count on me. I didn't get the first one. So go back to Joe and see if he can come up with it. Or you tell Joe,
0: us. Joe, where's so, the next one?
2: So it unsurprising, Jeff had mentioned Abraham. I mentioned Moses in Hebrews, both those in Hebrews 11, because all of those individuals of Hebrews 11 are pre-imitating Jesus. Yes. And so we have then in Hebrews 12, uh, verse two for the word Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the Author and Perfector of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There you go. Yeah, and, and I think, I'm, I'm, and, and let me just mention how much joy I'm finding in the fact that I knew something that Jeff didn't, which is such a rare occasion.
0: Yeah, this is normally when we tee him up, he knocks it out of the park. But uh, man, no, I'm just we're kidding, Jeff. Uh, but I, I'll say that this was really uh, profound to me when, when I was looking in Hebrews and, and saw this theme throughout chapters 10, 11, and 12, that that we have a lot of joy because of what is in store for us. And and if that is what motivated Jesus to endure the cross and to get through, then how much more so should joy motivate us to get through our trials that we're going through? And so insert what Jeff, Jeff brought us here in, in the first place in James 1, 2. And uh, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It, it just kind of makes it make sense now, doesn't it? When you look at it in that light. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Anything else you all want to say about joy in Hebrews or James or about this concept of, of suffering with the joy of the Lord in mind?
2: I don't have anything on suffering, but I think there's another aspect in James. I don't know if you want if you want to go ahead. No,
0: continue. No, go
2: ahead. So you have that... Uh, rejoicing in your trials and and being patient there in James 1, but in James 4, you have another aspect of of joy, and quite interestingly, he's telling them not to have joy Uh, in in James 4, where they are where he's dealing with people who are sinning, he's telling them that they need to uh, be humble, they need to submit to God, resist the devil, verse seven, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, verse eight, verse nine, be miserable, mourn and weep. And then at the end of verse nine, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. So one of the things that joy needs to be connected with is, and we've already said this, our relationship with God. If we have sin in our life, we should not have joy in our life because we don't have those things that Abraham and Moses and Jesus were looking forward to. If we're if we're separated in our fellowship with God, then we ought to have gloom. We ought to have mourning instead of laughter and joy. And yeah. maybe the oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, I hadn't thought about that in this context. That's exactly right. And we know that James echoes a lot of the, the things we hear in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted.
2: Yeah, and, and so I think about somebody like uh, David in Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and uh, he's offering up that confession in Psalm 51, two different verses there, verse 8 Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So he uses it twice there, joy and rejoice. And then also in verse 12 of Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation.
0: That's told me
2: by your generous spirit. Uh, So I just think it's so powerful to think about. David understands that, that he has robbed himself of joy because his sins have separated him from his God. And he needs that restoration.
0: Wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in Psalm 51. That's a really cool connection here. And just the, the joy that uh, we can have whenever we've been forgiven and whenever the Lord is with us and walk well, in. And that ties back to what Jeff started us with, with the Ethiopian eunuch going on his way rejoicing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, Excellent so whether it's stuff. a
2: person first coming to the Lord, like the Ethiopian, or individuals repenting and coming back to the Lord, joy is going to be the product of being led by the Spirit.
0: Yes. So um, let's talk a little bit more about trials, but also kind of shift our attention to talking about contentment um, by looking at the book of Philippians. So if you guys want to turn back over there to the book of Philippians, um, one of you two, if you'd like, just bring us up to speed on what's happening in the context of Philippians. Where is Paul? What's his situation like?
1: Well, he's a prisoner in Rome um apparently in a rented house the last chapter of the book Acts tells us he's able to rent a house but he is not a free man he is able to receive guests um uh, because of his imprisonment there the the household of caesar is hearing the gospel and some have become christians um but he writes to the philippians under those circumstances um and he writes to them uh and sending back one of their own to let them know that uh, this one of their own is in good health and all. And, and, and take that opportunity to give some thanks to the Philippians for their, their, their assistance that they provided to him.
0: Yes. So uh, going along with that, what, what is the situation like with, or excuse me, what is his relationship with Philippi like, maybe contrasted with his relationship with Corinth?
2: Well, so, with, go, ahead, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say that the uh, his connection—it's almost déjà vu because when he had been in Philippi, he had been arrested, thrown into prison, like he is when he writes the letter. Um, uh, And so they had the things that he's saying in the Book of Philippians in that letter—they would have known that's what Paul was practicing. Midnight, he and Silas singing praises and praying to God. Um, uh, You know, he has this. You used the word contentment earlier. Um, uh, what a what a wonderful concept to uh, to to surround that text of of Paul and Silas in prison.
0: Yes, exactly. And and as far as his working relationship with the church in Philippi goes, let's just look at these first um, few verses of Philippians one, verse three. Uh, Paul says, "I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all." in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. This was a congregation that it seems like was always kind of an easy congregation for Paul to write and talk to. We, we know from chapter four that this congregation was re- giving and he was receiving some funds from them as he was working, likely in Acts 18, verse five, we see some of that as well. And so this was a congregation that, that Paul, I believe, had a lot of joy when he thought about. Opposed to maybe with the church in Corinth, I think he was joyful that there were Christians there, but there were a lot of things going on in Corinth that caused Paul a lot of heartache that we know about as well. So this congregation, for for starters, it was a joyful work. Paul was excited when he heard about the work in Philippi, and he makes that clear here as he talks about praying with joy for this church. But now let's get into some of his circumstances as we talk about contentment and joy uh, down in chapter 1 in verse 12. Paul says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll stop there for now. So, guys, there are kind of three problems that are going on as Paul is in prison that he is open about. Uh, what's one of the first problems he points out there in verses 12 through 14? the obvious one that Jeff has already spoken to, I guess.
2: He's in jail. He's in prison. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's in prison. You know, here Paul is this evangelist. I think about when he was called to do so in Acts nine, as he's on the way to the road to Damascus and he's told he's going to be this chosen instrument. That's going to go bear, bear the name of the Lord to the Gentiles and to the Kings of the Jews. And here he is out here doing all this good work. And now he's in prison. How is he going to accomplish all of this great gospel work if he is holed up in prison? And like Jeff mentioned, it was house arrest, but nonetheless, he can't come and go as he pleased as he once did. Um, How in the world is he going to accomplish that? And yet, his answer to this is actually, my story has become well known uh, to to many of the prisoner or prison guards, rather, and to many of the brethren, and they're encouraged by my situation, and really the gospel has gone out further than it would have if maybe I had been free, and I do think it's cool, Joe, as you mentioned, this church in Philippi having had a jailer that Paul converted, and now he's talking about being in jail and talking to other jailers. I like to think that the Philippian jailer read this and got really excited, but Paul finds a way to be content and joyful even in the moment of being in prison. Um, Thoughts or comments on, on that aspect there?
2: Well, it's just the very opposite of what we were discussing, that sometimes the world has this joy faced, uh, based on the, the, the pronouns I and me and mine. Um, Paul is, is completely excited and, and overcome with the exceeding joy because of others, other people being able to hear the gospel.
0: Yes. Yeah. Excellent point. Um, Guys, going with this um, in verses 16 through or rather 15 through 18, what seems to be the second problem that Paul speaks to?
2: Not everybody's being truthful or sincere.
0: Yeah. Again, he's locked up in prison and there's selfish preachers running around and he really can't do anything about it. He's locked up. What is he going to do? And yet. Paul says, you know what? Christ is still being proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Guys, he is choosing joy in this moment. He's choosing to be content with his circumstances because there's nothing he can do about them. And that's a really important aspect of joy that that we need to learn. And and then lastly, in verse 20 and 21, what's the third circumstance that Paul finds himself in?
1: He could be put to death.
0: Yeah, death is on the table for him. Um, now from what best we can tell, it looks like Paul does get out of this, this time, but he does, um, at this moment, believe that it's possible for him to die. He could, he could hang for some of the things that he's done. And yet he still chooses to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Despite sad circumstances, um, Paul is still choosing contentment in the Lord. And that is what gives him true joy. And the, the reason I'm belaboring this point is because, guys, do we sometimes find ourselves in circumstances that we cannot change or do anything about? Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah, all all the time. Our family members, the, the brethren we work with, or the different people that we run into, are there. Are a lot of people out there who are in circumstances that they just cannot change, all the time? And yet, for some of those people, they're the most sad people I've ever met. And in other cases you find people who are there, the happiest people I've met. And the biggest difference between those two people is who has joy in the Lord and who doesn't. Um, And and so we have got to find our contentment, even in those moments where it's hard to like Paul does.
2: So would would it be fair to say that uh, at least one of the antonyms or opposites of joy would be discouragement? Depression,
1: discouragement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'm thinking about, and especially for, you know, Christians who, who might be listening in, there's a very good chance that there's problems in your congregation. And, uh, you know, how are you going to react to those? Are you going to be overcome with discouragement and depression, or are you going to find joy even in those settings um, because of what the Lord is doing in the middle of all of that? Uh, I'm reminded of a conversation that an older preacher had with me one time. He, there was a younger preacher that was working with him, and the older preacher and he were talking about some of the things going on in the congregation that was it was public about what was going on, and and the older preacher was just really painting the darkest picture, and uh, the the young. Preacher, the the younger man said, "Is it really that bad?" And and you, you, he said that the, the the older preacher was telling me that the younger fellow just started getting really worried, uh, and finally he just realized that uh, he was only seeing the negative things that were going on, and uh, we need to not approach situations like that. Um, uh, certainly, uh, Paul. You, didn't.
1: Know, you know, you mentioned Joe. You know, people may be listening to this webcast. Um, who are going through or who know somebody who's going through a very difficult situation. And, you know, how many times have you talked with somebody? I I can think of many times when I've talked with people who are, they're Christians, they've been baptized into Christ, they should have joy in their lives, but they're going through something very, very painful, very, very difficult. Uh, It could be a a family situation, a domestic situation that is just intensely um, difficult. And, and they'll get very, very depressed, um, very dejected. And I think it's at times like this that we need to ask ourselves, really, what am I all about? Am I all about the promises of God and Jesus Christ uh, such that I can have joy and I can maintain that joy uh, even through such difficult times? Or am I too much focused on my external circumstances? I can always choose to do what I'm supposed to do in regard to external circumstances, but I cannot necessarily choose what somebody else is going to do. So I cannot control all the external circumstances, but I can control where my hope is. And that's
0: why I can have joy. Great. Um, yeah. So uh, guys, looking over at chapter three of Philippians um, in verses one through six, we won't take the time to read it right now, but can you guys kind of summarize some of the things that Paul talks about from his former life and some of the accomplishments he had had?
1: Well, he talks about a lot of things that really had to do with external circumstances and things that are temporal, that they're just part of this life. He was. Um, he talks about all his his status as a Jew, as an Israelite, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, as a Pharisee. And, you know, you think back to the fact that he was a young man when he was given authority by the high priest in Jerusalem, the highest official in Judaism, to go to even foreign countries and arrest Israelites who were believing that Jesus is the Messiah. That's kind of a heady thing, you know, to be a young man and be entrusted with the highest Leader in your nation to go and arrest people in foreign countries, and you know what? Yeah. He gave all that up, all that career he gave up for Christ.
0: Well, and let's let's just expound on it just a little bit more, and maybe boil it down to our terms today. So, d- did Paul have a really good education?
1: Yeah, he did.
0: did does education do, does education make people happy? Does that give some people joy? Yes. But some people it gives joy. so much. It gives some people joy so much that for the first 30 years of their life, that that's all that they do is go to school.
1: <laughs> and, and not to belittle education. The fact is God has created a wonderful creation, and we can find joy in becoming educated and learning about the things around us, uh, especially if we understand where it's all coming from. But ultimately, this is not what it's all about.
0: So Paul had good education. Did Paul have a good job?
2: Yeah, fast, fast
0: track climbing the ladder. Yeah, he, he was on track for a good career. Yeah, absolutely. To both of those things right there, a good job and a good education are what make most of our country tick. I mean, those two things alone is just what people want. And yet, as Jeff already said, verse seven, Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered all things or uh, the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. That is what made Paul ultimately joyful. Wasn't the career, wasn't the education, but it was in the Lord. And I find people all the time and I find myself, you guys know, I'm in the fire service, you know, Oh, if I can just get this next training, if I, if I can just get this next certification, then I'll be on this team or I'll, I'll be able to do this and this event. And it just, it's a never ending ladder of just further education and further, furthering yourself. None of that matters when you have hey, Chase, Jesus Christ as your Lord. Chase, yeah, Jeff, Yeah. are you have something to do with firefighting? Uh, every now and then. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But you know, it, so one of the reasons that you do that you can find joy in that legitimately is because it's aiding other people. You're 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 helping people that are in need. You know, that's a very legitimate thing to find joy in, uh, you know, very very biblical concept, Matthew 25 judgment scene, helping others.
0: Sure. So, uh, but my point is, is just with with Paul, I'm impressed at his willingness to give that up because he saw that there was no ultimate joy in that. And the thing is with Paul too that I sometimes forget is like there was a religious component to both of those things: his his career and his education.
1: He thought he was, but it's still,
0: but there was still no joy in that because he was he wasn't serving God according to His will. And, And when he submitted to serving God to His will, that is when true joy was found in the life of Paul. So uh, that's a that's a powerful point. Um, guys, let's look at the end of chapter four of Philippians. We've got about 10 more minutes here. Uh, chapter four, uh, verse four, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And uh, one of you guys read verses 10 through 14.
1: Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearance be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. In nothing, be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, yes. Uh, 10 through 14. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 14. All right. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your thought for me, wherein you indeed did take thought, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therein to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know also how to abound in everything and in all things. I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in want. I can do all things in him that strengthens me. Howbeit, you did
0: well that you had fellowship with my affliction. So simply the point I want to make from this is that Paul can be joyful when he has enough contentment can give us joyfulness. Some people would say, I cannot be joyful until I have X amount or rather excess until I have the highest paycheck or until I have this amount of money or until I've reached this accomplishment, I cannot be joyful. Paul's point here is even with the most little of things, I have learned to be joyful even in those moments. When I, when I have what I need, when I'm content, that is when I find true joy. And that is just a concept that our nation does not push. And so it's not shocking that even in the Lord's church, we might not have that mindset either. But with food and clothing, these I, I will be content with. Uh, that is all I need here because I have the Lord. So that, that's simply the point I, I wanted to see from, from these verses here. Thoughts or comments on that?
2: You you mean that verse 13 doesn't teach that I can play professional basketball?
0: Oh, Joe, no, you cannot play professional basketball.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I gave it up because I would have to play on Sundays. Um,
0: oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And Joe...
1: Your point is, though, that there are a lot of people who can quote this passage, and they quote it as if it means that anything I want to do, I can do, it because the Lord's going to help me do it. Um,
2: and that's not what it means.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, they, they skip the, over
2: the the, the being abased, base, uh, living without. Uh, the, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 finding contentment and joy even in those abased moments. I
2: I think the would you say the all things
1: that Paul says he can do here is that he can be content, whether he is abounding or being abased. Either way, he he can do it through the Lord. Wouldn't
2: you say that's the point? Or I think think that's spot on. I think it's exactly what he's saying. Not not that God is going to make a a rosy path for us or or make us successful in the world's eyes, as he's way too often suggested from this passage.
0: Yep. Um, sorry, sorry about the,
2: you having to give up on the NBA career. Uh, it's for the best.
0: <laughs> for, for everyone. <laughs> uh, so, um, J- Joe, I just wanted to mention as well, I had in my notes, Nehemiah 8, verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And do you guys remember the surrounding context of this? This goes back to a point Joe had made a little bit earlier, but
2: right, yeah. They, they, they were learning uh, there uh, on that day. They were learning about the things they, they had. The scriptures, the law of Moses, read to them, and they found within it things that they weren't doing, and became sorrowful for that. But now yes. they know what they need to do, and they can do it. So be joyful. Go out. Have a feast, the, the feast of the Lord, and share with others who don't have and, and rejoice.
0: Yes. So we, when we stand forgiven, we can be joyful even in such a dark world. And it was a dark world in the days of Nehemiah, let me tell you. But they were still finding joy because they stood forgiven uh, before God. And that is a joy that is beautiful to see.
2: You know, if I could just interject one more thing here. Uh, Please. One of the places that we find joy is in self-denial. Uh, now, that seems, again, counterintuitive. Uh, but I'm thinking about passages like Romans chapter 14, you know, eating meats, not eating meats, and, and so forth. And uh, we find the, the verse here, um, uh, maybe pick up in verse 15, for if befo- because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking to love, according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is uh, for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, and so um, we're going to talk about peace next time, I guess. But as we as, uh, certainly joy and peace are, are linked tightly in this passage here. Um, but it's the joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, joy of the Lord, Philippians, for the joy set before him, uh, Hebrews 11 and 12, uh, joy in the Spirit here in Romans 14. Joy has to be connected to our relationship with the Lord, or it is unfulfilling.
1: Yeah, I think there is joy in self-denial in this sense also. When when I realize I am just a slave to my passions, and I really I'm not making a choice. I I just, whatever my flesh wants, that's what I have to do. I can become very discouraged. And talking with an individual recently who has fallen into pornography from time to time, and he's talking about how much he hates himself when he does it. But when I can choose to do what God wants me to do, in spite of the fact it may not be what my desires are at the moment, in spite of the fact my flesh craves something else, there is satisfaction, there is joy in knowing I can, I can rise above it. I can choose to follow God's word. I can choose to do what God wants me to do. And that's about my relationship with God through Christ. And that brings joy. Yeah,
0: yeah I think this point is so true of sexuality is too. When, when people are of the mindset, I have my joy when I make the choice of who or when or what I sleep with or fornicate with or whatever have you. That is what true freedom is, is when I am just doing that that's not freedom. That is slavery. There is no joy there. True joy comes when you submit to the king and he gives you the keys to the freedom of of being a slave of sin and and so forth. And so, yeah, I think those are all excellent points that need to be understood in the context of joy. Uh, Excellent guys. Anything else you guys want to say about that? We only got a couple minutes here uh, I'll plug one other section of scripture for people's own reference. We're not going to take the time to turn there in these last, uh, last two minutes, but the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of a roller coaster of a book. And at different times, you're like, wow, this is a really dark, depressing conclusion that he's come to. And then he'll come out of nowhere and talk about being able to enjoy life and enjoy the wife of your youth and, and say other things like that. But the point that the Ecclesiastes, uh, the, The preacher in Ecclesiastes is making is that once you properly understand that the context for the things that God blesses us with, we're able to have more joy in those things in the way that they were given. When we use things that God gave us in their proper box, you enjoy it more is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. So understanding that the things of the earth are not going to fill us up. And when we know that we enjoy them for what they are. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord putting him first will help us prioritize and understand the, the, the right perspective to see the blessings that God's given on the earth. Does that make sense? I think so. So um, again, that, that's a big picture idea of Ecclesiastes, but for future reading for our listeners, I would encourage you to see some of those sections in Ecclesiastes. They're in chapter two, three, five, eight, and 9 five, eight, nine. They're kind of all over the place there. Uh, guys, I, I think that's our time for today. Lord willing, we're going to pick up with uh, peace next week. So uh, peace be with you guys until then. Thank you.